2 Timothy 3, 10 through 13. Let's read together. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Uh, many of you may remember the tragic news in April of this year about the Islamic militant group called Boko Haram whose name means Western education is sin. When in April of this year they spent six hours abducting and kidnapping almost 300 young girls from their high school in the country of Nigeria. In early May, the leader of Boko Haram released a video claiming responsibility for the abductions, for the kidnappings. On this video he said, quote, Allah instructed me to sell them. I will carry out his instructions. He said, slavery is allowed in my religion and I shall capture people and make them slaves, he said. He said those girls should not have been in school anyway. Instead, they should have been home and married since girls as young as nine are suitable for marriage. In late May, Nigeria, Nigerian civil militia found two of these kidnapped girls raped, left for dead, and tied to a tree. Local villagers said that the group left the two girls and also killed four others and buried them there. Even as we speak today, as many as 240 of these young girls are still being held captive. The group says, the group says that it intends to sell them into slavery. Terrible, horrific tragedy. Here's a key part of the story that is not well reported. A key part of the story that we need to be aware of and that we're going to talk about today. 90% of the young girls abducted were professed Christians, publicly making a statement of faith in Christ. Which means this. The Islamic militant group knew exactly what they were doing. This wasn't a city that just they happened upon. Uh, this little village, the town where these girls lived, was known as a Christian kind of a village where lots of believers lived. This Islamic militant group knew exactly what they were doing and they knew exactly who they were targeting. Many of us drove here today from a warm and cozy house stocked with tons of food. Came here in a car that has heat. Walked in with shoes that are put together well. And if they break, you can just go out and buy another one, another pair of shoes. We're going to walk out those doors. We're going to have plenty of food to eat for lunch. We're going to look up at the hills and think, man, 
I live in a beautiful place. (laughs) Friends, it's all too easy. It's all too easy in our beautiful little neck of the woods to live as if the tragedy we just talked about never happened. In fact, we kinda, we're kind of good at that, aren't we? <laughs> living, like, living like that never happens. It's not going to affect me, so... Friends, persecution against Christians is real. And we're going to talk about a pretty somber and heavy topic today because, because that's where 2 Timothy 3 goes. That's where the text takes us. And we're a body of believers who goes where the, where we go where the text takes us. And this is going to be heavy today, but it's heavy because following Christ closely is hard. Don't come down that aisle when we, when we invite you to claim Christ publicly thinking, this is going to be a piece of cake. My life's going to be so great and easy from now on. In fact, friends, in fact, friends, count the cost. It's going to be hard. And following Christ closely will mean that you will suffer. That's, this is not going away. Persecution in our world is not going away. And, and you can mark that it's going to continue to increase in our world. In February of 2012, Newsweek ran an article. It's a feature article called The War on Christians. It was sort of prophetic in its predictions just a few years ago. Uh, Persecution of the church is alive and well and increasing. Friends, the threat of violence on American soil is something we couldn't have even conceived of a generation ago. But the threat of violence from the fast-growing religion of Islam or others whose sacred text teaches a doctrine that it it is available as an option to kill infidels who are not with them. The threat of violence from a religion like that means that persecution of the local church is not going away and it will likely continue to increase, perhaps in our day. Did, Did you know that there are today millions and millions and millions of Christians who live in a context where persecution is close at hand. It's a threat to their very lives. It's a threat to their faith. Some say as few as 100 million, some estimates as many as 200 million Christians in the world today live in a context where from day to day they are under threat of real physical persecution. It's gotten bad enough, in fact, that even the mainstream American media have begun to acknowledge the reality that Christians are the most persecuted group in the world today. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 10. Jesus' words in Matthew 10, 22. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. John 15, 18, and 20. 
Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And then he says this, interesting words. We're talking about the close connection between following Christ and, and experiencing his persecutions and sufferings in the life of Paul, in the life of Timothy that we'll talk about soon. But listen to what he says in John 15, 18 and 20. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. And then he says this, remember the word I said to you. Remember this, he says to his followers then. He says, a servant is not greater than his master. And Jesus is saying, what, what makes you think you will be exempt from what I've experienced by being hated from the world? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Words of Jesus. Philippians 3.10, words of Paul. Listen to crazy talk like this. This is, this is great. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. That sounds good. I, I'd like to know that. But listen. To, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings. The fellowship of sharing in His sufferings becoming like Him in His death. When you, when you came to Christ, you, you, might, you might have thought freedom from sin is available. True, it is. Rejoice in that. And, and we will have that blessing of resurrection and, and being free from sin for the rest of eternity. But it also means death to self. Becoming like Him in His death is what Paul says there in Philippians 3.10. Paul yearned to follow Christ so closely that he could say, as we must if we are to follow Christ, I want to know the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings to become like Him in His death. Paul already told Timothy, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So think of Jesus' words about being hated by the world. Think of Paul's world, words about being hated by the world, about sharing in Christ's sufferings. Take Jesus' words, Jesus' words about being hated from the world, Paul's words about wanting to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Make that a formula there. Jesus' words plus Paul's words equals the principle for today we're going to talk about that comes from verse 12 in chapter 3. Those who follow Christ closely will suffer. Those who follow Christ closely will suffer. Jesus knew this. Paul knew this. Timothy knew this. And as we read the pages of Scripture today, if we have the Holy Spirit living in us, we are being told in our passage today that we need to know this. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul says this outright to Timothy in verse 12, in no uncertain terms. And Paul knows that faithful discipleship, faithful following of Christ, means experiencing perhaps hatred, perhaps persecution, from a world who hates Christ, from a world that loves sin and hates God. Jump in at verses 10 and 11. Let's read these together and then we'll come back at verse 10 and look in detail. 10 and 11 say this. You, however, Paul speaking to Timothy, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Look at verse 10 there. It says, you, however... This is Paul drawing a contrast between Timothy and the false teachers around that we've talked about the last few weeks here. 
You, however, Paul saying you, Timothy, in contrast to the false teachers and their false lives and their false ministries, in contrast to the world around that hates you, he says, you have followed. You have followed. Press pause there after that word follow. After that word followed. Hey, after that lists a number of characteristics uh, that Timothy has followed. But I want to talk about this word follow here. Almost no modern translation sort of gets the, the weight and the force of followed here. Uh, literally, this word followed is alongside followed. Put together as one word. Alongside followed. Uh, Paul's saying, Timothy, you have followed so closely with me that you're, just, you're right there with me. One dictionary says that the word followed is like making sure that you don't know what you've learned slip away. That's the sense of what Paul's getting at here. He's saying, unlike the false teachers who have false lives and false ministries, Timothy, you are the, you're the genuine article. You're the genuine article because you followed alongside with passionate intensity to do what I've done, to learn what I've learned, to join with me as I join in Christ so that you would join in Christ and live His life of death to self. So he says, you have followed closely. And then he shows us the many ways in which that's the case. He gives some color to the things Timothy has been following here. This is a picture, by the way, here uh, of how disciple-making works. Just this first couple, uh, these first couple of verses here. It's how disciple-making works. If you endeavor to follow Christ so that others will follow you, then listen up. If you endeavor to follow Christ so that others will follow you, then listen up. Because this is what it looks like. Paul says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my doctrinal instruction about Christ, about the gospel. And he says, you followed my conduct. Literally, that's the, my way of living, my conduct, my behavior. He says, my aim in life. In other words, my, my purpose, my resolve, the thing that I am on mission about. And so Paul sort of introduces those three terms at the beginning here and says, these are the big ideas that you've been following. He starts, sort of starts in this general kind of way. Then he begins to be more specific. He lists these four things here, four virtues that come out of following Paul and following Christ. He says, you follow my teaching, conduct, aim, and life. Then he lists the four virtues, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. He's using these terms on purpose. He could have picked a lot of different terms, but he says things like, Faith, which you'll need if you're going to take up the cross of Christ. Patience, which you'll need if in the middle of a world that hates you and people who accuse you and lie against you, you'll need patience. Love for those who may falsely accuse, maybe for those who persecute. Steadfastness for in the middle of hard times, sticking with it. Four virtues produced in Paul's, in, in Paul's protege's life in Timothy that are the result of him following alongside closely. And so it goes from general to more specific. But look at this. At the end of verse 10, he says, my steadfastness. And then it takes kind of a, a funny turn at the beginning of 11. Everything that Paul's listed so far is all these wonderful things. It's all hunky-dory. You know, you've, you've followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life. He talks about love and faith and patience. And then he gets sort of negative here. It takes a different turn. My persecutions and sufferings. You've been so close with me that not only have you experienced the things that are good, 
from me living in Christ. You've experienced the hard things about living in Christ. Timothy has followed Paul so closely that Timothy has experienced Paul's persecutions and sufferings. That's a picture, friends. That's a picture of what is meant for us to follow Christ, to take up our cross daily. Paul says Timothy has followed my persecutions and sufferings that happened to him, to Paul. Then he lists three uh, cities there, Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. These are three cities that were on Paul's first missionary journey. And that was before Timothy joined him. But he lists these perhaps because Timothy has some awareness of Paul's persecution, even on that first missionary journey. It says Lystra there. Lystra is Timothy's hometown. And it's quite conceivable that Timothy may have actually known about Paul's sufferings firsthand, even before joining Paul in ministry, which is to say that Timothy kind of knew what he was in for, perhaps. In fact, we know from Acts 14, Acts 14, 19 to 20, that Timothy may have even witnessed Paul being stoned and left for dead. That's what happened there in Acts 14. He was stoned, left for dead. Timothy might have even been witness to that. We know that in the, the city of Lystra, where Timothy is from, his family were believers. Lois and Eunice were already mentioned in the book. So he comes from a tradition of faith that may have even told him about Paul as he came through and was persecuted. Whatever the case, Paul certainly would have recounted his own persecutions and sufferings to Timothy. Now think about that for a second. We're going to pause here for a second and make an important point. Paul is telling Timothy about his own sufferings. They've been together in ministry. They've been through thick and thin. They've been through hard things. And he's experienced it. But Paul has probably also said, yeah, there was all that that one time when I was beaten and tortured and left for dead. One of a few. That one time when I was imprisoned. That one time when I was starved. When I had little. This is instructive for us. Disciple makers share their stories of suffering with their followers. Disciple makers share their stories of suffering with their followers. Now, now don't get me wrong. Not as a, as a badge of honor about which to boast. Not something to hold up as, hey, how cool is it that I suffered like Jesus? Not, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about it as an instructional tool, as a teaching tool for those who come behind to be ready for the hard things of following Christ. Disciple makers share their stories of suffering with those following them. For example, do not hesitate, parents. You don't have to give them all the details because for some of us, there are some nitty-gritty details that we really just probably shouldn't share. (laughs) I'll grant most of us that. But do not hesitate to tell your kids about your own journey of faith and the struggles that you have experienced along the way and the ways in which you perhaps have experienced suffering and persecutions. Please do not hesitate to be vulnerable about that. That will make your witness real. This will require some vulnerability, which I know for many of us, myself certainly included, is not something in which I revel. This will require some vulnerability, but that's a good thing. Because if you don't, 
Your kids will not buy what you're selling. Your kids will not see that your faith is real. They will perceive you as a fake. And if there's anything that, that young people have a keen radar for, it's for being a fake. Listen, disciple maker. If you're not real to the person following you, you will produce someone in your own likeness and not the likeness of Christ. It will be, it will be you manipulating somebody because I don't want to tell them about my own struggles and failures and struggles with sin. Because if I tell them, you know, they, won't, they will know that I'm not perfect. <laughs> and if you disciple like that, if you parent like that, you will manipulate somebody after your own image and your expectations of the facade. That's what you'll do. It's the opposite of making disciples. So, so make sure you prevent churchianity and help produce the real deal by being vulnerable about your own sufferings. Paul was quite open about his. And for the record, those who pretend to be perfect are just, they're simply too scared to admit that they are not. Real disciple makers share their stories of suffering with those who follow them. Because the goal isn't keeping alive one's own story of invulnerability. The goal is not to keep alive the facade of your own goodness and perfection, which is a lie, by the way. That's not the goal of mentoring, of discipling, of being a model for others. Real disciple makers share their stories of suffering with those following them because the goal isn't to keep alive one's own story of invulnerability that is actually a lie, but it's actually to produce in someone the image of Christ, which is to say, if someone else can't see in me the ways the Holy Spirit has animated me and made me alive in Christ, who has freedom from sin, then don't follow me. This isn't about you. It's not about you. It's not about you keeping up your churchianity facade. It's not about others looking at you and going, man, that guy. Wish I could. Or she has it so together. Lies that create a culture of fake. One more thing to notice here in the second half of verse 11. I want you to look there. In the second half of verse 11, it says, Paul endured persecutions. And he says, yet from them all the Lord rescued him. We're going to kind of look at what this means a little bit. Notice that he says he both endured persecutions and yet was rescued from them all. Think about that. He endured them, (laughs) but he was rescued from them. How does that work? Well, we know that obviously Paul is not saying that deliverance or rescue means not suffering persecution because he shares about his own sufferings of persecution. He tells about it here. So what does Paul mean here? I think two main things are going on. One is sort of uh, rather unimportant. The second one we'll talk about in a second. The the first thing I think he's doing is just kind of saying, hey, Timothy, it's going to be hard, but there are good things too. He's tempering the bad with the good. He's saying, I endured them, but I've been rescued from them all. Let's look at what this rescued part means here. We have some help from 2 Timothy 4. I want you to turn there for just a minute. 2 Timothy 4, verses 17 and 18. 
we get some help here about this idea of being rescued and what it means. 2 Timothy 4, 17 and 18, there are three places in the book of 2 Timothy where this word rescue or rescued happens. <clears throat> and in chapter 4 here, Paul has just spoken about those who opposed his ministry and his message. And then he says this, verse 17, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And he says, so I was rescued, same word as our passage 3.11. Paul says he was rescued from the lion's mouth. Think about this for a second. Daniel, lion's den, Old Testament. Daniel faced death in the lion's den, but the Lord allowed him to live so that Daniel could preach to the non-Jews, to those who didn't know God in his culture. Now think about this. They didn't want Daniel praying out loud. They didn't want him preaching out loud. So they put him into the lion's den so that he would be taken care of. And instead of death, God shut the mouths of the lions so that Daniel would be saved to preach, to talk about God. Same thing for me is what Paul is saying. Same thing for me here. They've tried to kill me, but the Lord has kept me alive so far so that I can carry out my mission. He says, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So, so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Verse 18, he says, the Lord will rescue me. There's that rescue again, third and last time. The Lord will rescue me. But notice, notice that even though the Lord happened to rescue Paul from actual death, I mean, that can happen to be one of the results, not necessarily. But even though the Lord has happened to rescue Paul from actual death physically, what he is also saying underneath that, and more importantly than being saved from actual physical death, is this, verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. <laughs> the rescue is grace that covers sin. My own evil deeds, the evil deeds of my persecutors. The rescue is grace that covers my sin and the sin of others against me. It's important to remember, <laughs> disciple makers, that the rescue God brings is a grace that covers sin. Others can and they will accuse you. The evil one will accuse you. But you don't have to vindicate yourself because you have been ultimately and forever vindicated. The Lord will rescue me, he says, from every evil deed. And here's the result. And he will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. That's what rescue means. The rescue is not primarily physical. It, it may be. It was in Paul's case. It may not be for some of the people alive today who won't be alive by the time we're done this morning. The rescue is not primarily physical, though, in Paul's case it happened to be, but it is a rescue that brings us safely into God's heavenly kingdom. So when Paul says in 3.11... Back in our passage, when he says in 3.11 that he endured, endured persecutions yet was rescued from them, he is telling us, he's saying that we will go through, we will endure suffering if we follow Christ closely. 
Notice how many times I put that caveat in. <laughs> you will endure persecution and suffering if you follow Christ closely. The parallel for our passage is that Timothy has been alongside Paul, sharing in his sufferings as he's experienced them. Paul's telling us that he was rescued from them when Christ died for us to cover sin so that whatever comes, I'm still rescued. It's very clear, verse 12, that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul knew this would be the case, friends. He knew this would be the case when he came to Christ in the first place. Think about this. Paul knew that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He knew this when he became a believer. Paul became a Christian. And before he was a Christian, his name was Saul. And when he was Saul, he had been persecuting God's people. Think about the irony of this. He'd been persecuting God's people. But when Saul became Paul and started to follow Christ, he did so closely. He identified fully with Christ. So when Saul became Paul and followed Christ, the Lord said this. Jesus said this. The words are in red in Acts 9.16. God, through Jesus, says, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. We will if we follow Christ closely. We will endure suffering. Verse 12 says, Indeed, mark it well. Note this. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, I realize that for you and me, uh, the persecution may not mean something we've described earlier in the message today. It may not mean being held at gunpoint and being given the option of denouncing Christ for a temporary rescue or claiming Christ for an eternal purpose, for an eternal rescue. You and I may not be uh, abducted or held at gunpoint and beaten and forced into slavery or, or, or being given that option of denounce Christ and die and live or claim Christ and die. We may not quite live in that world here yet in America. But I want, to, I want us to note two things. Keep in mind two things. Number one, you and I live in a world where greater persecution is increasingly likely on American soil in ways we never could have imagined one generation ago. So here's the question. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? may not happen. But if so, I'm going to be prepared. Are you ready for that? Don't, don't just gloss over this sort of obvious application question. Are you ready for greater suffering? According to Timothy, according to Timothy, this question is a close parallel to asking yourself, am I ready to follow Christ? Number two, you and I, we, we may not be held at gunpoint, 
and given the option to denounce Christ and live temporarily or claim Christ and live eternally. But listen, friends, the stakes are as high in your life today. The stakes are as high in your life today. When you're at work and someone lies and cheats the company out of profits and you know about it, in that circumstance, you have been given the option to denounce Christ with your response or to claim Him with your response. You may not be held at gunpoint. You may not be abducted for your faith. But when your commitment to a relationship wavers, perhaps because someone has hurt you, and yet you know they deserve your forgiveness that you're withholding, you have been given the option in that circumstance to denounce Christ in your response or to claim Him in your response. The stakes are every bit as high in your life as you walk out those doors. In, in our everyday lives this week, we will be in situations where we have the option of denouncing Christ with our behavior or claiming Him Which one do you think is a witness that works? Which one do you think is the one that is ready for suffering? The question is, do you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus? Do you you look at the cross of Christ and you think about what God has done for you in the person of Christ And do you you think about the sacrifice of a perfect, holy, amazing and beautiful God of the universe who gave of Himself to cover the sin that you deserved to be sent to hell for and to have eternity without God? Do you look at the cross of Christ where He sacrificed, where listen, where listen, He was persecuted for you to know Him. He deserved not a word of the mockery. The only being who's ever lived in the history of the universe as a human deserved none of it. So do you look at the cross and you say, I want to live a godly life that is ready for whatever comes to my life. Because it's going to come. Mark it. Mark it well. You may not be held to gunpoint, but sometime today, tomorrow, you'll be in a situation where you'll have the option to denounce Him or to claim Him. Don't, don't keep this in your mind as a, as a far-off, someone-else kind of world where I don't, have to, I don't have to deal with that. If you follow Christ closely, you will have that kind of of suffering and persecution in your life. There's a direct relationship. It's not 100%, but there's a direct relationship between people who follow alongside Christ closely and those who experience persecution and sufferings. Because listen, if you're out in that world when we leave here and there's nothing about your life where people go, what? then you're not going to be persecuted. I hope you enjoy that. Because listen, 
A depth of relationship with Christ where you know and you love what He did for you to cover you from sin will mean that you are increasingly willing and able and prepared to step into the kind of hard life that means a witness for the glory of God. I mean, think, think about what God could do through a group of people who answered this question about do you want to desire, do, do you desire, do you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus? Think about what God could do through a group of people who answered that question, I want to live a godly life. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings so that my life is a witness, so I can be used by Him for the cause of the gospel of Christ, for His fame being made known and the life of Christ being developed in somebody else. That would change a community. That would change a life. That, that would make disciples.